You're listening to a podcast from York City Church. If you like what you hear and you'd like to find out more, please visit our website at www.yorkcitychurch.org.uk. My name's Mark. Uh, for those that don't know me, I'm one of the leaders um, here at City Church, and a very, very warm welcome to you this morning. And particularly if you're new with us this morning, or maybe you're kind of a bit fresh to church, you wouldn't necessarily even know, think whether you're a Christian, you're so welcome with us. If some of the stuff kind of this morning feels like it goes over your head, that's, that's okay, but we want to help you. And so do come and speak to me or any of the guys that have been up, up at the front at the end. We'd love to just make things plain and, and help and encourage you uh, where you're at. Over the summer, I was uh, reading the book of Nehemiah um, in the Bible and was struck again how the author of the book, Nehemiah, responds to the stuff that's going on. He hears that the people aren't in a great state and there's prospect of some rebuilding to do and even to get there he needs favor with the king so what's he do well before anything else it says he mourns and he fasts and he prays and the implication of the book is that he does that for around four months before he does anything else and well what happens well God answers his prayer. He has favor with the king and he actually achieves the restoration in less than eight weeks. So he prays four months and then is restored in eight weeks despite much opposition. And it's out of this passage that came some of the early ideas of the 100 days of prayer that we'll be starting in January. You might have heard about, we'll talk about a bit more this morning, um, that that came about. So we wanted to spend this morning and kind of delve into this passage almost by introduction to that to see what we can glean about God and prayer and to whet our appetite for what God might do in and through us as we ourselves give ourselves to prayer in the new year. So let's start by praying, shall we? That seems an appropriate place to start. Living, present God, we pray that you would encounter us through your word this morning that you'd work deeply in many of us a refreshed fervor for your people, for your purposes, for prayer, for fresh faith, an awakening to the realities of what's going on, that even today you'd do a new thing and breathe life in us, your church, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's get stuck into Nehemiah 1. So it begins like this. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. Okay, there's a lot going on there, isn't there? Let's try and orientate ourselves. So Imagine you're this guy, Nehemiah. You're the person um, narrating the story. You're a Jew, so you're one of God's chosen people, and it's about 445 BC. But about 150 years before that, your home nation, Judah, which you can see where Jerusalem is there on the map, was captured and destroyed with your great-grandfather's and mother's generation deported to Babylon. 
After about 70 years of captivity, they were given the opportunity to return to your proper homeland, but only about 50,000 out of the three million decided to return. So now, like many of your other um, Jews, you are scattered and you're hundreds of miles outside of Judah and Israel. So you're in Susa, as you can see up there, and you're working as an important official to the king of Persia. So Persia now rules that whole, whole area. And your brother is traveling back from Jerusalem to Caesar. And you ask him, what's going on with the people there? And what's going on with the city of Jerusalem? And so he responds, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying. So the whole of this um, book, Nehemiah, it paints him as a bit of a kind of faithful Jew, a follower of God, an archetype to um, take note of. Not so much that it's all about Nehemiah the man. God is the real main character, isn't he? He's the real main character of the comforter and restorer of his people. But a bit in the spirit of what Alan spoke about a few weeks ago about imitating people. Well, Nehemiah, he's a good guy to imitate. He's a good guy not to be like, okay, I need to sort of become a eunuch and get a job in the palace. That's not what you mean. But he gets it. He gets what God is like. And so he's a good person to, to, um, to imitate. So as we go through the story, I've picked out a few observations of what's going on with Nehemiah that I believe God would want to impress on our hearts this morning and work in us today. So first off, Prayer comes out of a deep concern for the people and purposes of God. That much is true. Nehemiah is clearly moved. He first of all proactively asks and he cares, but as the response comes back, he's moved to tears, to mourning. His joinness to these people isn't just a vague association to a group of like-minded individuals. He's knitted in heart and soul to the people and the purposes and plans of God. Psalm 137 speaks of this first most concern for the purposes of God. It says, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Reminds me too of how an early Christian leader called Paul described the church as one body, so inseparably connected that if one suffers, one part suffers, every part suffers. There's that connectedness that's played out here. Later in Nehemiah's prayer, in fact, he owns and he confesses the sins of the people as his own. It's all we, us, not they, them, this thing out there. Nehemiah's response makes me realize two things. First of all, that the things that tend to pull on my heart that kind of really get to me emotionally, that occupy my mind, is generally stuff about myself rather than the people and purposes of God and the mission of God. But second of all, that the times that my mind and my emotions are deeply engaged and concerned with those things, I'm often moved to pray more. 
And it's not just Nehemiah. You see this deep concern and prayer for the people and purposes of God in Jesus too. His longest recorded prayer in John 17 is a heartfelt, extended cry for the protection of his disciples, for the unity of believers and his purposes through those believers. This is the heartbeat of Jesus' most intimate prayers for you and you and me and us for this Jesus prays and he continues to pray continually seated for you for us for this oh god would you pour out this spirit of christ in me in us your church breathe a heart a unity of heart and soul of connectedness to you your people and your purposes amen if you're not a Christian, or maybe you're being on the outside of church, God wants to knit you into these amazing, glorious purposes, which are eternal and secure, to be part of his chosen people, united to the creator, adopted into family, heirs of a forever promise, and inheritance with Jesus. Maybe for others, we're a bit intrigued by Nehemiah's inquisitive outlook. He's sort of investigating what's going on. Well, what's going on with God? and his purposes and his people and, and plans right now. Well, the report from the front line of City Church, it's a, it's a mixed bag, isn't it, as ever, of advances and victories, curveballs of COVID hitting people hard, God's incredible provision and prospering, people being taken out of the race, mercy and justice being enacted, apathy, breakthroughs in talking about Jesus to friends, persistent health issues, family heartache, struggles with sin, weariness, fresh affections to Jesus for the first time, lives precariously balanced. That's not to paint an overly positive or negative perspective, but to recognize it's a battle. We're in a battle. That's why Paul, writing to the Ephesians, says it's imperative to be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. For Nehemiah, he talks of the report of the walls of Jerusalem being broken down. And this wasn't just like in York where we might lose some kind of tourist numbers. It's that it offered zero protection for people, for the people of God from any threats. And while maybe in the grand scheme of history, there wasn't an epic war raging like in some generations, there were absolutely enemies opposing the purposes of God as we see as we read throughout the next rest of Nehemiah. And I believe that prayer recognizes that we're not in peacetime. Got to get that. We're not in peacetime. Church leader calls, John Piper says, probably the number one reason prayer malfunctions in the hands of the believer is that we try and turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. Prayer is for the accomplishment of wartime mission. It's though the field commander, Jesus, calls in the troops and says, Comrades, the general has a mission for you. He aims to see it accomplished. And to that end, he's authorized me to give each of you personal access to him. Personal access through these transmitters. If you stay true to his mission and seek his victory first, he will always, always be as close as your transmitter to give you tactical advice, send air cover when you need it. But what have millions of Christians done? 
Well, we tried to rig up the walkie-talkie as an intercom to our houses, not to call firepower for conflict with a mortal enemy, but to ask for more comforts in the den. Now, don't get the wrong end of the stick. Prayer is personal, and there's biblical encouragement to dwell and be and adore in a way that you wouldn't have an army commander like, like we have done this morning. But equally, prayer isn't something that we just play at or to make us feel nice and warm. At its heart, it's mission and warfare and worship. And so Nehemiah, hearing this news, he mourns, he fasts. As I say, the implication that this is about four, for, for about four months. So we see it in Nehemiah as well that prayer does, it makes sacrifices and it perseveres. Four months mourning, fasting. Sounds pretty intense, doesn't it? I mean, that's pretty intense, Nehemiah. And I have no intention this morning of drumming you up or guilt-tripping you into praying and fasting for days on end. I can't even drum myself up to pray without drifting off to sleep sometimes. I mean, I've got no, no chance with that. But we can be real this morning, can't we? Prayer's not easy. It's sacrificial in terms of time to pray. It might mean reordering your day, your entire week, in order and to make prayer a priority or not doing something else as a result. It involves humbling ourselves and pouring our hearts into it. It requires thought and effort where it would be easier just to sit there, scroll through the phone, wouldn't it? It often requires practice and perseverance, like over 100 days maybe. It might mean doing things that you feel uncomfortable in as well, like spending time alone in silence or speaking out loud in front of other people. But it's so worth it. In the book of Luke, Jesus told his disciples a parable explicitly to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He says that to us today. Always pray. Don't give up. And he tells a parable of a widow that kept coming to even an uncaring judge. Who even him in his unjust, uh, injustice, eventually he grants her request because of her persistence. And Jesus concludes by saying, will not God bring about justice for those who cry out to him day and night? God, would you make us like Nehemiah, willing to make sacrifices, to pray, to, and to persevere even when it's really hard, to see breakthrough and to see your kingdom come. So what does Nehemiah pray? The passage intentionally lays it out. He tells us so we can learn from him. It says, and I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. Prayer starts with acknowledging God as God. Let's just start with the obvious here. He's talking to God. He's talking, Nehemiah, to God. God, yes, the awesome one, the great one, the God of heaven, the one who is in charge of all of the heavens, the one who is great in size and in importance and status, 
the one who we revere and are in awe of. He is talking to him and he lifts his eyes and recognizes first the power and the greatness of the one he's talking to. Now you can start where you want in prayer and God is really, really, really gracious. But starting prayer, God would first, has a pretty rich history throughout the Bible and in Jesus and through many great heroes of faith. Personally, I find if I begin something like, God, I'm, I'm just really, really down today. Oh, would you help me to get everything done at work that I need to be done? And yeah, make, help me not to get angry with the kids. And um, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, pray for my auntie who's got a hospital appointment today. It, which I have done. Um, it leads me down a whole different introspective track then starting with a worship song or a psalm or recalling what God is like and my identity in him has a whole different lens. It still leads me to pray for myself and for others and for um, my vocation or work, but I do it from a completely different place altogether. Starting with God honors him. It lifts our eyes and it breathes faith. And we also see from Nehemiah, he says about this loving covenant and prayer is loving covenant relationship. It's not this like business contract that he's doing some dealings with God in some sort of far off way. Prayer stops not only with God, but relationship with God. Our father, as Jesus teaches his, his disciples, Nehemiah prays that God keeping covenant and steadfast love with those who love him, borrowing language from the book of Nehemiah, sorry, the book of Deuteronomy, and we'll touch on that more in a bit. So as a Christian praying, you are welcomed as loved and righteous ones through Jesus, not because you're great or you have any kind of standing, but because he is. There's nothing to fear. You can ask big prayers. You can find deep refuge. It's amazing, but it's a relationship Oh yeah, I, I bad-mouthed God to my friends. I stole from church and I was mean to some kittens just for good measure. But God, give me a new car. Name it and claim it in Jesus' name. Amen. No, no. Don't be presumptuous. Nehemiah gets that and he goes on to say, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayers of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. In Psalm 34, it says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. Nehemiah knows that God is an attentive God to his people. But I also find it interesting that Nehemiah's prayer, he immediately after, after this confesses sin. It's maybe a bit of a link with this psalm which distinguishes that yes, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God's attentiveness is conditional on being righteousness or right standing before God. But the amazing news 
is that in Jesus, we found that we are counted us, who aren't anything special, who aren't really any good, but we're counted as righteous because of faith in him, because of faith in Jesus, which is game-changing in terms of prayer. Nehemiah didn't even have that. We have this imbibed righteousness of Jesus. So as Christians, we get to come knowing his face is towards us and his ear is inclined because of Jesus. But we also get to pray those confessional prayers that I find maybe a bit harder to pray. It's easy to pray asking prayers, isn't it? But forgive me or um, I've acted really corruptly against you, God. That's a bit harder. But we get to do that and know that God is faithful to forgive. So next in his prayer, Nehemiah prays, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. And if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the most uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name um, dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you've redeemed by your great power and by your strong hands. Now this is the bit that the structure of the prayer kind of, kind of focuses in on. And this is a direct quote from the book of Deuteronomy and God's instructions to his people through Moses. And Nehemiah saying, God, you said this about your people. You said, you said this. And here they are, a people who are redeemed by your great strength, but they've been exiled to the farthest horizon. Do what you said in your word. Restore them to their place. This happens all the time in the Psalms and prayers in the Bible, all the time, because prayer rests and reckons on the promises and word of God. So for us it might be, You said, God, you're an ever-present help in times of trouble. That there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Well, here we are. We are in trouble. Be our ever-present help. Make us glad. Oh, God, you said you'd make you give your disciples power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and that they would be your witnesses. Well, here we are. We are gathered as your people. We're asking for your Holy Spirit, like you said you'd give like a kind father in your words. Would you fill us with your power to be your witnesses? Prayer comes out of being immersed in the word of God. How else do we know what God's heart is for? what his desires is for his people, what his intention is for his kingdom to come. Now, don't let this discourage you. Like, if you're thinking, oh, but I don't really know my Bible that well. Like, how how, how can I come to, to pray? But instead, may it lead you to pursue the depths that God has for you and has made freely available in his word. Maybe to start off just... Use some of the prayers in the Psalms or in Paul's letters as a way to to bounce off. And so then Nehemiah concludes his prayer. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. 
Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Give your servant success today. Prayer doesn't have to be complicated. Give your servant success today by granting me favor with the king. No caveats, no flowery embellishments, no having to explain to God every little detail. It's not long. I pray for Lewis to become a Christian. God, would you heal Linda? God, would you give me favor today when I speak to Sarah? You don't need to use all religious language to make God attentive. He's attentive. We can get to use simple language, which is a joy. So let's do that as a church as well. And then the passage ends with simply the phrase, I was cupbearer to the king. Now, if you remember, that's Nehemiah's job. That's what he does. It's his vocation. It goes on to play out in the story. But prayer isn't just something pious that happens in some sort of ethereal bliss, unrelated to normal life. But it impacts the here and now, the where we are, where God has put you. And as we enter the 100 days of prayer, I want you to expect that God will speak and animate each one of us where you are, in your workplaces, in your relationships, in your family, where you find your feet. To speak to you about ways that God might want to use you, that he might to take bold steps to propel you into mission. Nehemiah is anything to go by. We should expect as much as we gather to pray. So what in terms of life application from this? Well, from January the 7th, we have 100 days to put this stuff into action in a whole range of ways, whatever happens in terms of COVID. So let me invite you this morning to join us in this adventure together and give yourself wholeheartedly to seeking God in this time. So what will we we be doing? Well, specifically, we'll be having 100 days of morning, lunch, and evening prayer slots for you to sign up to as individuals or families and friends. Hi, kids. You feel free to come through. We're just starting to talk about the 100 days of prayer, which you guys will be doing as well. So do, do come through. So there'll be a load of prayer slots for you guys to sign up to. So you can use these either to commit to praying at home or using all manner of creative ways. And with that level of enthusiasm as well. <laughs> so guys, you get, you get to like use these to like pray as a family as well. You can pray with your small groups or Maybe you want to kind of be creative, go on a prayer walk, fast a meal and pray during it. But we've got 100 days, so there's 300 slots to go around. There's plenty to go, go around. We can do all sorts of things there. We'll also be gathering to pray and worship in a range of ways, broadly every other week on Tuesdays and Wednesday nights, but there's a few, a few other bits in there. As small groups all gather together because there's something really unique about God's people gathering to pray all together and in one place, COVID willing, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I'm really excited about God, what God will do with us as we all gather to pray together. Hi guys, you come through. Yeah, I, I, I'm not really... You're. 
high and mighties and explorers. So we're talking about the 100 days of prayer, which you guys are going to get to be, be part of as well. And one of the things as well we're going to get to be doing, you guys are going to have some prayer diaries as well as part of it. And we're going to be doing all range of other things. There's going to be some teaching on the Lord's Prayer, both in this room and in all of the other rooms um, in the Citadel with the, um, the children's group as well to help equip you for this. And each week we'll be encouraging a bit of a prayer focus around the Lord's Prayer to kind of root us and encourage us to pray all together. But as I say, there'll be a range of other stuff going on from family encounter afternoons, retreats, devotionals. We'll be um, having a Celtic daily prayer week. There'll be a space in the Citadel set up for praying. Basically, a feast of praying, a feast of things going on. So we get to throw ourselves into this. And we've provided all the details and dates in a bit of a handout, which there's a whole load of letters at the back there for each of you to kind of take, scour, stick up on the wall, get enthused about. And why 100 days? Well, it's sort of around the duration that Nehemiah did. So if it's good enough for Nehemiah, it's good enough for us. If he rebuilds the city walls in, in under eight weeks, well, who knows what God will do in us ahead of time as we give this extended period. And as leaders, we're really committed to your life in God. We seriously are. That's why we preach and prepare and do all these things. But we've, we've bought you an early Christmas present as well this year. You're very, very welcome. We've, um, we've bought you a book on behalf of church, How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People, which a lot of us have read and have found really, really helpful. So I'd encourage you to carve out time to read that over Christmas or January. May it build you up. May it equip you both for the 100 days, but for a whole life of prayer. So there's a whole load of the books and stuff out there with your names on. So at the end, go and collect that. And if you're new or a guest with us, there's a few spare for you as well. But ultimately, we could have all the techniques, all the theory in the world. But this is a work of God in his people, by his spirit. So let's close by calling on him together. And we're going to use the words of a song to do this together. So, um, Alan Han, do you want to c- come on together? And so this song, let this be our prayer, adults, children, all together today, that God would do this work in us for his kingdom, for his purposes, that he bring us into his heart for the world.